comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec fans, what is happening? This is the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name is Trone. I'll be your host. You can find this podcast pretty much anywhere or any of the major places uh, where podcasts happen. I guess I don't know the vernacular. Um, wherever you listen, make sure you know, like, comment, subscribe, five star review, whatever the deal is for wherever you're listening. Do that stuff. Find me on YouTube. Find me on Twitter. Find me on Patreon. It's all under Aztec Breakdown. Uh, yeah, find all my stuff. You know, the, the normal spiel. It finally happened. Guys, the Aztecs, they finally took a loss. And it's sad for sure. I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of felt like one was coming. Not specifically at home against UNLV. Uh, but just over the past couple weeks, I was like, I, j- I don't know how to describe it. I just felt like a loss was going to happen. Um, and so that's kind of, that. that's one of the main reasons why I talked about the things I talked about over the last couple weeks about having perspective on the season and how, you know, no matter what happens, this team has at the very least met the preseason expectations, which is great. There's, Anytime something like this happens, there's always, you know, the the gut response, which is, you know, we lost, which sucks enough on its own. And then on top of that, uh, we lost to a bad team. What's going to happen to our seed? We, we don't have an undefeated season anymore. BYU beat Gonzaga after that, and we didn't take advantage of it. That's even worse. You know, there's, there's all those negative emotions. And then there's always that guy on Twitter who comes out and is like, if someone had told us at the beginning of the year that through 27 games, we'd be 26 and one, we would have all taken that right. Um, Ranked five in the AP poll ranked five in the net. We would have all taken that. And so it's, I don't know. I think for my own personal health, I try to, stay more balanced and not get too worked up one way or the other about these things. And it's even more so given when I'm trying to do the analysis that I want to do. I I need to do that even more. So I feel like there was, there was that guy on Twitter who, who mentioned like, I think you, uh, you, you tend toward the negative, which is kind of nice because you know, I, as a, as a viewer know that you're not just some Homer, but also like you can take it too far sometimes. And I was like, you know what? It's perfectly accurate. But at the same time, like while I was watching this game and and even immediately afterwards, I was like, you know what? I'm not like, I'm upset. Obviously I'm not going to say I wasn't upset, but I'm not as upset as I would have thought I would have been. Right. And so a lot of times I tend to the negative because people are normally optimistic. Whereas I felt immediately after the game that I was tending more towards the positive because everybody would not everybody, but you know, a lot of people were really negative. And so I think in trying to be balanced, I end up being 
more of a counterweight than anything else. This this episode is going to be largely just me me riffing. I I had a couple planned out things to talk about. Maybe I'll do that at the end. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I'll decide as I'm going here. But it's it's largely just going to be stream of consciousness. So uh, if you're not about that, I'm I'm sorry. Um, I just I've had a lot of thoughts and I haven't really had time to organize them throughout the courses of of or the course of my days here. Uh, work's been busy, so it's just going to be me me riffing for a minute. Uh, I mean, where? Where to even start? Um, I guess we'll start with the refs. I'm not going to complain about the refs. Uh, mostly just because I always think it's kind of tacky when when the losing team complains about the refs, even if it's deserved. Uh, so I'm not really going to complain about it. You know, there. I can think of one call specifically that went against UNLV that I thought was wrong. It was, it was Jong's third foul that he got. I think it was in the first half still. I was watching that and I was like, that shouldn't have been a foul. Like realistically, like cool, we got it, but that shouldn't have been a foul. I think it was on Yanni and I think Yanni ended up missing both the free throws anyways. But, um, you know, it's like, that was the thing. So it, it went both ways and people can go back and forth about who got the worst end of it. The the worst call in my mind was at the end of the game, or I don't know what the time was on it, but Matt Mitchell drove into the lane. He got hacked across his arm. He lost control of the ball. Uh, UNLV recovered the ball, started driving. Malachi went in, got a clean steal on it, and then the ref called the foul on Malachi and not the guy that hacked Matt Mitchell. That was pretty bad. But despite that, the Aztecs still had chances to win and tie and all that stuff. And so, like I said, we're not going to complain about it. My overall reaction is that I'm not worried, at least not yet. And here's why. As I was watching this game, I, uh, I just felt like the Aztecs weren't in character for whatever reason. And I didn't think that reason was anything that UNLV was doing necessarily. Maybe, I mean, maybe a little bit, you know, cause UNLV played them close both games. So there's probably some matchup problems there and some athleticism problems and stuff like that. I, uh, I, I only have tape of the second half of the first UNLV game, which was one that the Aztecs pretty much controlled the whole way. And I wasn't able to get tape of this game because the uh, the websites that I would normally use to record it weren't working properly. I could watch it, but it was buffering every 10 seconds and stuff. So I, I wasn't able to record it. I'm hoping somebody puts it up on YouTube, like a UNLV fan or something. But I, I, I won't be able to watch the tape, most likely. But it just watching it live, it just seemed like a lot of out-of-character things were happening um, that that wouldn't normally happen. And some of it isn't even a character thing. It was just like somewhat of a luck thing. You know, so for example, uh, Yanni Wetzel went, what, one of six, one of seven from the free throw line. 
he's a, I think he's a career 65% shooter from deep. If he makes one or two more of those, he's still shooting 50% or worse, which is well below his career average, but that changes the game, right? You know, everything else being the same, it's still a loss, but everything else wouldn't be the same. Um, and that's such a, a simple thing. And the odds of that happening again are very low, you know, him, him going one of, I think it was one of seven from the line. Um, you know, Malachi Flynn went, I think four of 13 from deep. That's been more in character lately though. His, his 10 game, uh, shooting percentage from deep over his last 10 games is at 30.23%. So it's pretty bad. Um, I don't know what is causing that. I I don't know if his legs are getting tired or what it is, but his shooting has, has gotten worse. KJ though, KJ Fagan, his shooting has gotten better over the season and he went, I think one of six from deep. And that one was at the very end of the game pretty much. You know, so if if he makes one more shot, he's still below his season average, and uh, that's a tie game. You know, um, Shackles' fifth foul I didn't think was very much in character, and he is kind of foul prone at times. And I don't remember his first four, honestly, but his fifth one, he just he was swiping at a ball that I didn't think he should swipe at, and that I didn't think he would normally swipe at. But uh, just the pressure of the situation, you know, he he swiped at it. He got the foul called and he was out and he was shooting pretty well. He was two of four from deep. I think he was, I don't remember what his, he was four makes to eight shots, I think. Maybe it was 10 shots, but he was two of four from deep. And so if you have him at the end of the game to take one of those shots, you know, he might make one. Um. What else? Matt Mitchell, I mean, was more or less within character. Um, you could tell he, at a certain point, tried to, he wanted to take over the game. Like he, you know, he felt like a lot of the guys probably did, like somebody needs to step up. It's going to be me. And he just started, started driving, which he's pretty good at overall. Um, but it wasn't enough. And then the foul calls weren't there. And, you know, things like that. What I feel like there was something else that was specific that just didn't seem like it was in character. Um, oh, Trey Pulliam had a foul at the end of the game where similar thing to like the, the ball got inbounded and he fouled the guy and all the coaches were like, why are you fouling there? You don't, you don't need to. Um, and it just, the point is it just felt like a lot of out of character things and a lot of random variation things that kind of all hit at once. And despite that, it was only a three point loss, you know? So I'm not that worried yet. I would want to see what the cause of it was, whether it was something UNLV was doing, which I don't necessarily think it was. Um, the other options that I've thought of are, or, or would be relating to the rest that the Aztecs just got. So it would be either they uh, the legs are just getting tired, right? That might explain Malachi's shooting percentage going down over over the course of the season um, and, and like to below his career average, which is important. 
it might explain Yanni going one of seven from the free throw line, right? If your legs are tired, that might be harder. Uh, KJ going one of six from deep, you know, all these things, it might explain those. And I've been talking about the heavy minutes the starters have been getting and that you would like to see that massaged a little bit. So it's, it's possible the legs are tired. You wouldn't think that would be the case because they, they had just come off of the bye week but I mean, you, it, it could still be the case if they, if they were still practicing hard and, uh, you know, not taking care of themselves that way, not taking advantage of the rest and, and with the heavy minutes and everything. Um, so it's a possibility. The other possibility that I thought of besides, you know, if you know, he was doing something was if the rest kind of like made them rusty for lack of a better term phrase, uh, you know, if they came out and, and having not played for a week, they, you know, they weren't quite firing on all cylinders, especially in that first half. Cause they outscored you and I'll be in the second half. It just wasn't by enough. If that's the case, if, if that's what it was, if the rest was the cause, then the team would be in trouble, right? Because what will happen is, the team will play three games in three days in the in the Mountain West tournament, hopefully, at least, right? Let's let's assume they win all of them, right? They'll play three games in three days. The last game will be on a Saturday. Uh selection Sunday is not the following Sunday like normal, but two Sundays after that. So eight days afterwards. And then the first round is that next Thursday. So that's another Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, third, four days after that. So there would be 12 days in between in between the last game of the Mountain West tournament and the first game of the NCAA tournament. And that's that's a lot of time. And it could be more if the Aztecs lose before the championship game, or if their first game is on Friday instead of Thursday, which I don't think there's a scenario where that would happen, but I could be wrong, right? If if they if the Aztecs lose on the Friday of the Mountain West tournament and then their first game is the Friday of the of the March Madness tournament, then that's two full weeks, right? Where they aren't they haven't played a game. And so if Rust was the issue, then that's bad because that's a lot of time for Rust to gather. And granted, if they're they're still projected to be a one seed, I wrote about that for Mountain West Wire earlier today. It is definitely possible they could drop to a two seed, though. But even then, they'll be up against a 15 seed, right? But a lot of 15 seeds are about as good in the range of UNLV talent-wise. Not, you know, personnel-wise, but talent-wise. And so if it's rust, that could be a problem. If rest is the problem, if those legs are tired then having those almost two weeks could be really good for this team, right? And so if there was more clarity on if one of those two things was the problem, and if so, which one, that could either be a major confidence boost or uh, or like a, a sign of bad times to come. I think the only real indicator we might get to that is the Mountain West Conference Tournament itself. Because like I've been saying, if the starters are playing 35 to 38 minutes a night, like most of them have been, that will 
wear down the team over the course of three games in three days. And so if we see their play progressively get worse, even if they're still winning, if the play just gets worse each game, uh, that could indicate that rest is the problem. And then having two weeks off might be good. That's the only real indicator I can think of to see. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's my thoughts on that. I do think uh, that a rope, I think he got 10 minutes in the game. I think 10 minutes is a good amount for him. 10 to 12, right? Two, two to three shifts for him, I think should be a good, a good number for him to hit, especially if Nathan Mensa isn't playing. There's a lot of rumors that he might be coming back or that he is coming back. Coach Dutcher has been saying he's hoping to get him back. Uh, that hope isn't a confirmation though. So just, you know, until it happens, I've said this before, I'm assuming that he's not playing again this season. I hope he does. I hope, I hope he's healthy first off. Uh, but you know, I, I hope he does play, but I'm assuming he's not until that happens. So assuming he's not playing, I think 10 to 12 minutes is a good number for a rope. Adam Seiko only got three minutes in the game and they were all in the first half. And I think that was a mistake. Overall, for the past couple weeks, I've been pretty complimentary of Trey Pulliam. At least I think I have been. It's been nothing amazing, but I've been saying he's been slowly improving pretty much each game, right? I feel like that improvement has stopped. And I, I, if you guys know me, you know I hate to talk ill in any regard about about these players um, for many reasons. One, like I'm a fan first. And so I, uh, I just, I want to like them and I want to be complimentary and all that stuff. Uh, and also just, you know, understanding that they're 18 to 22 years old, something like that. Right. Like they're just, they're just young. And when I was 20, I would have hated if some, <laughs> You know, I'm 28, so I would have hated some 28-year-old being like, oh, you're so young. But like now that I am 28, I'm like, I get it. Um, so that, you know, so I I try to just temper any criticisms and try to make them as, as constructive as possible. One thing that I've noticed, I, I mentioned this in my anatomy of a 10-point run video that I put out on YouTube uh, about a week ago now, I think. There was there was a play where Trey Pulliam caught the ball in the corner, and I believe he upfaked it and then tried to drive. And the defender didn't fall for the upfake at all and just was able to stay in front of him. And and Trey Pulliam should have shot that shot. He's uh I should have had these numbers pulled up before. I'm sorry. Trey Pulliam's like a 36.5% shooter from deep, I think. I'm gonna pull it up here real quick. And the average for division one basketball players is 33 and that's in a small sample, but it's still enough that he should be able to shoot those shots. He's oh 36.8. I was close. 36.8% shooter, basically 37. He needs to have more confidence shooting that three point shot. Because as I pointed out in the video, that was the shot that the offense is kind of designed to get. He had it, he didn't take it. And the result 
was that they had to reset up, but there wasn't a whole lot of time left. And Malachi ended up having to chuck a three at the end of the shot clock. And the same thing happened once or twice against UNLV, especially down the stretch where Trey Pulling would get the ball in the corner and he would up fake it or he wouldn't up fake it. And he would just try to drive without up faking it. And it was the shot that needed to be taken. And I saw it live and I was like, Oh, you need to take that shot. And if memory serves correctly, which it may not, but if memory serves correctly, it was the same thing where it ended up being no points came out of that. And it was a bad shot. It had to be taken because Trey didn't take the shot that was supposed to be taken. And it's stuff like that. That's something that's not going to show up in a box score. It's, you know, it's very hard to track with analytics. It's not impossible, but it's very hard. Uh, But that can kill an offense, right? If you get the shot that you're supposed to get and then the guy just doesn't take it, it gives the defense chance to it, not a chance. It gives them time to catch up with the ball. And now they're all set again. And it's like, you're starting from scratch, but you've taken off 15 or 20 seconds off the shot clock. And so that shot needs to be taken. So with that, I would campaign to the coaches, not that they listen. And if they do, they probably shouldn't, but I would campaign that, Adam Seiko needs to be the first guard off the bench and not Trey Pulliam. I get why Trey Pulliam is the first guard off the bench because he has better ball handling skills and he's better in the pick and roll. But the thing is, he's never running the pick and roll because he's always on the court with either Malachi Flynn or KJ Fagan. And Malachi Flynn's playing 38 or 39 minutes a game anyways. So a lot of times he's, he's, Trey Pulliam's on the court with both of them. Um, pretty much anytime Trey Pulliam is there, Malachi is also there. And Malachi is going to run those pick and rolls. If the coaches have Trey Pulliam run a couple to help save Malachi's legs, that's one thing. But until that happens, what Trey Pulliam brings to the table isn't being used either by design, which would be him not doing the pick and roll because Malachi is doing it, right? You're just having somebody else who's better at it do it, which is fine. Or by personal choice because Trey Pulliam can hit the three-point shot and hasn't been taking him. What was the number I looked at earlier? Uh, per 40 minutes, Trey Pulliam takes 1.6 three-point shots per 40 minutes of game time. So that's over... The- Essentially, if he were to play the whole game, he would take 1.6 three-point shots. That's not a lot, especially for an offense that's kind of designed to get those types of shots. Adam Seiko, on the other hand, he doesn't bring those ball handling abilities. He's not going to run the pick and roll, at least not this year, right? But if Malachi is running those pick and rolls anyways, you don't need him to. What you need is somebody who's going to space the floor with the three ball, which you can't do if you're not taking those shots. And you need somebody who's going to defend well, right? And to Trey's credit, his defensive player impact plus minus at the moment is better than Adam Seiko's. I, I do think, though, that that is mostly just because Trey has played more minutes, and so he's had more of an opportunity to make an impact because minutes played does get factored into that. Um, what's it called? 
algorithm. It's it's part of it. And so had they played similar minutes, I would be willing to bet that Adam Seiko's defensive player impact plus minus would be better than Trey's. On top of that, on top of the defense, which I don't remember Adam Seiko's defense against UNLV. He played three minutes and it was in the first half and there was just a lot going on in the first half for me. Um, but three point attempts per 40 minutes are 6.3, which among players who have played uh, at least a hundred minutes for the team ranks fourth, right? So he takes the fourth most threes uh, on the team essentially. And one of the guys ahead of him is Keyshawn Johnson, who shouldn't be taking those shots, but is because that's the shot the offense is designed to get. So he was open. So he took it right. That's the type of thing that Trey Polium needs to do more. That's the type of thing that Adam Seiko does. And so in terms of adjustments to make, I think Seiko should be the first guard off the bench. And when I first thought that I was like, you know what? Don't be reactionary to uh, one loss. But like I said, that, that uh, Trey Pulliam not taking those shots, that's more than just a one-loss thing. And so if you want the offense to run smoothly, I think you play Adam Seiko a little bit more. Plus, Adam Seiko is better at making them too, right? I said Trey Pulliam is at 36.8%, which is good. Adam Seiko is at 38.3%. So Adam Seiko can make them, and that goes back – to, it doesn't include last year, but he was a good three-point shooter last season too. And so it's off of a pretty decent sample size. Uh, maybe not a great sample size, but pretty decent. So a rope should play 10 to 12. Seiko should probably play, I don't know, 8 to 10 maybe. And and take some of those minutes from Trey. i I want Trey to be able to show what he can do because he's had a couple games. I don't remember the one he went like seven of seven from the floor, but that was awesome. If if he was doing stuff like that more consistently, not even going seven of seven, but just taking the shots that he should take, then I then this wouldn't be a thing, right? Because I think if he takes those shots, he's a more complete player than Adam Seiko is at this point. Adam Seiko is a little bit better at the fewer things he does, whereas Trey Pulliam is more complete. He just needs to play within the system and, and essentially take those shots that he's supposed to take. With that, I'm going to take a quick break, get some water, rest my voice, um, and we will come back after this. Okay, moving on. Uh, I'm not going to do game previews. They've been getting shorter and shorter lately anyways. So I'm, I'm just, I'm going to skip the specific game previews. I think, you know, Colorado State's at home at senior night. That should be a win realistically, but UNLV should have been a win too. Um, I do expect the guys to come out 
kind of like with a vengeance, you know, and and show that the game against UNLV was a fluke. What specifically that looks like, I don't know. And whatever it looks like, I hope they save some because I would rather even, you know, even lose against Colorado State than lose in the March Madness tournament, right? Like this is the best chance this the Aztecs have maybe not have ever had, but let me rephrase. They have a really good chance this year to make it farther than any San Diego state team. And to the best of my knowledge, farther than any mountain West team has ever made it in the March madness tournament. I, I looked back through, uh, Ken Palm, which goes back to 2002. I don't remember what year the Mountain West was created, but I think it was at about that same time. And assuming I did everything right, the farthest any team had made it was the Sweet 16. It was Utah made it in like 2004 or something. Uh, San Diego State made it in 2011 and 2014. BYU made it in 2011. Uh, Nevada made it, I think, two years ago. I might be missing one, but no team had ever made it past there, right? This team to me has a legitimate chance to make it past the sweet 16, even without Nathan Mensa. Now the matchups get a little bit tougher without Nathan Mensa, but it's still possible in my eyes, right? Not, not just even possible, but like the odds should be in their favor to make it to at least the elite eight. And from there, hopefully you can get a good matchup and play a good game and, and make it to the final four. That would be amazing. Right. And, and this team I think has a legitimate chance at doing that. I don't know what the chance is, you know, anything can happen in March madness and good teams lose to worse teams all the time. So I mean, it is what it is, but this team has a legitimate shot at that. And so I would rather them, be able to kind of not that this is necessarily how any of this works, but rather than just like letting out this explosion at home against Colorado state and dropping like 120 points on them and they only score 40 or whatever, rather than doing that, like save some of that and remember that feeling and have that carry you through the mountain West tournament and the March madness tournament so that you can get past those games. Right. Like I said, that's not necessarily how any of this actually works, but I I don't know. That that would be my narrative, I guess. Um, what else was I oh rotations. So come tournament time, rotations tend to get shorter, right? Which makes sense because you're playing specifically better teams, so you only want to play your best players. Now, Brian Dutcher and company and staff have been kind of doing that already, which I've said I kind of think is a problem. Uh, So I I don't need to rehash that. But I think I wanted kind of feeding off of what I said before the break, I think this is what I wanted to follow up with and say what I think the rotation should be coming into – the Mountain West tournament, but more specifically the March Madness tournament, right? So 
The Mountain West tournament is a little bit different because it's three games in three days. And so normally teams will shorten their bench to seven or eight guys total, right? Whereas in the season, you might play nine or maybe 10. For the first game, I would say, yeah, keep playing 10 guys, right? You got your starter. I'm going to assume Nathan Mensah is is sitting out. So you got your starting five, right? You got KJ, you got Malachi, Jordan Shackle, Matt Mitchell, Yanni Wetzel, and then bring uh, a rope off the bench, bring Seiko off the bench, bring Trey Pulliam off the bench, bring Nolan Rain off the bench. There's your nine. If it's a blowout, bring Keisha Johnson off the bench, right? Whoever, Joel Mensah, whoever. Um, come day two, you, backtrack. You want to do that, especially in the first game, in my opinion, for a couple reasons. One, you're playing the weaker of the competition, right? You're playing like uh, an Air Force or a Fresno State or somebody in that first game. One of it, It's the eighth or ninth place team in the first game. After that, you're playing the fourth or fifth place team, which is a considerably better team. And as Aztec fans, we know like we were as, as a fourth and as a fifth seed, I'm pretty sure we did it from each spot. We beat Nevada, who was the one seed the last two years in a row, right? So it's, you're facing better competition at that point. And so at that point you can start to shorten up the rotations a little bit and just play eight guys, right? So you're playing your starting five plus bring a rope off the bench as the first big bring Seiko off the bench as the first guard and Pulliam can get some spot minutes, right? Bring him in for those two or three minutes that Malachi Flynn isn't, isn't playing maybe. Um, and then do that for the next two games. Maybe in the championship game, you play like six guys. I don't know what, what, whatever it would be. Um, but there, you know, there's that. And then in the March madness tournament still let's, let's do it both ways. Let's do it. Assuming Nathan doesn't come back and then what it looks like if he does come back. So assuming he doesn't come back, you have your current starting five, right? You got KJ Malachi, Jordan, Matt Mitchell, Yanni Wetzel. And then, I mean, I guess it's essentially the same thing, right? You bring a rope as the first big off the bench. You bring Adam Seiko as the first guard off the bench. And once again, Trey Pulliam can get spot minutes. And those are your eight guys. And really it's closer to seven. It, it, the specifics of the rotation look kind of tough because you don't really have a wing coming off the bench unless you play like really small and Adam Seiko kind of plays that wing spot, which you can do. Uh, it's not necessarily ideal. Um, I mean, I guess if you play Yanni and a rope together, which you can do that Dutch has done that before, then you move either Matt or shackle at the three. So that's fine now that I think about it, but those would be your seven. If Nathan does come back, Dutch has said he'd want to keep the same starting five. We've gone over that before. I kind of disagree, but I get it. 
um, chemistry and momentum and all that stuff. So I get it. So you have the same starting five, but Nathan Mensah becomes the first big off the bench. You still have a rope coming off the bench and you bring Seiko off the bench as well. But what it does is if Nathan comes in, you can take out literally anybody else in the lineup because Nathan's definitely going to play that five spot. But if you take him out for Yanni, then it's just a five for five switch, right? You're, you're replacing one center with another. If you take out Matt Mitchell, then Yanni moves to the four. Nathan comes in at the five. If you take out Jordan Shackle, Matt Mitchell moves to the three. Yanni moves to the four. Nathan comes in at the five. It, it just goes down the line, right? So you can swap them out for anybody. It gives you that flexibility. A rope to a certain extent, you can you can kind of do the same thing. He can come in as a five if it's a small ball lineup, which is what they did at the end against UNLV. And backtracking a little bit, I thought he had some some good minutes at the end, right? He had a key block at the end. He had a key uh, offensive rebound and put back. So I think he's definitely earned that 10 to 12 minutes for sure. Um, and then you bring Seiko off the bench as a three and D guy right? He can still space the floor. He can defend well. He's just not going to handle the ball as much. So I think those are your eight guys if Nathan comes back. So with Nathan, you have an eight-man rotation. Without Nathan, you have a seven-man rotation. Either way, I think this team is capable of making for sure an Elite Eight, right? Um, And then with right matchups going even further than that. But that's uh that's I think that's all I have. I feel like I had so many more thoughts run through my head over the past couple of days and they aren't coming to me. And that's fine. I really hope you guys enjoyed enjoyed listening uh to me ramble on. I'm sorry for the rambling nature of this, but some people have said they like it too, so <laughs> you're welcome. Um thank you so much for listening. Make sure to, like I said, like, follow, subscribe. Also, I I don't know if I announced it on the pod, but I am writing for at two different places. I'm writing for the Mountain West Wire, and there I try to do more conference-wide stuff, right? Because it's it's a place that covers the whole conference, and it lets me expand my basketball knowledge a little bit. And uh, it's I don't know, it's just fun to do. So I try to do more conference-wide stuff there. And then I also have been writing for the East village times. And that's where I put stuff that is supposed to be more specific to just San Diego state. Right. So, um, there's that check out both of those places. Even if it's not something I write, there's, you know, there's a bunch of great people, especially at the East village times. Um, I shouldn't, I should, that makes it sound like I don't like Mountain West wire, but I think you guys know what I mean. I, I just, I talked to the East village times guys, more mike from aztec hoops nation he's one of the writers there too so definitely check it out thank you so much for listening i think it's about time that i go i will catch you next time and uh hopefully after the aztecs have won two more games and we're heading into the mountain west conference tournament see ya